Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I'd like not only to hear the Word of God, but to read it. Something happens when those words come in contact with our our soul, they're branded there when we read them. John chapter 15. We are going through John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Let's start in verse 4. Jesus says this, he's speaking to his disciples. His arrest only a few hours away. His crucifixion maybe about 12 hours away. He's giving, these are the last instructions that he's given to his disciples before he is taken away from them. He says in verse 4, Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Skip down to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you uh, for this word. Oh, Lord, and I just think of Paul's prayer to the Ephesians chapter 3 where it says, oh, Lord, that we would understand how wide and long and high and deep is your salvation. And how these words, how this chapter speaks of that, how wide your salvation is, how long, how high, how deep. Lord, we want to know, we must know, Lord. We must know with a world around us that is unraveling and you have called us to be right in the middle, uh, showing the world order, showing it strength, showing it love, showing it light. Show us how great your salvation is. And I, I pray that not only for our church, but all the churches in the city who are declaring your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So how can I overemphasize the importance of John chapter 15? 
This chapter is as important as important gets. If you miss this chapter, and, and I, I don't say this lightly, I, I, and I don't say this is, I know preachers are famous for exaggeration, and, uh, but this is not an exaggeration. If you miss this chapter, if you race through it without slowing down and taking in the fullness of what it means, you'll miss the joy, the peace, the life that God has for you, and you will never be able to bear fruit in the way that God wants you to bear fruit. If you miss this chapter. What's the message of this chapter? Again, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you have come to me for eternal life. Wonderful. Now, abide. You have come to me for eternal life. And I glory in that. That I rejoice in that. But now... Abide. Abide in me. When a, a man or woman is, is, is lost, they're lost. And when the Bible speaks of the word lost, it means lost in this world, but for all eternity. That lost. They don't, they're lost. They don't understand their purpose. But it's something far more significant than that. They're lost in terms of where they will be from now to all eternity. When they are lost and God draws a man, a woman to himself, he first asks them to come. Come to me, Jesus says to every lost soul that he's drawing to himself. John uh, chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. If anyone thirsts, this is Jesus speaking, let him come to me and drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's speaking of eternal life. Come to me and drink and you will receive eternal life. Now, in John chapter 5, he was talking to those who he was drawing to himself, but they were rejecting him. They were saying they didn't want, they didn't want this man's authority over their life. They didn't want him. And he says to them, you, he said to them, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to what? to come to me that you may have life. John 5, verses 40, oops, and 41 there. So in John chapter 15, again, incredible change of direction between everything that preceded it in this book. John chapter 15, Jesus now introduces this radical concept you have come, now abide. Christianity, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, that sounds really nice. Back that up with, a, with the Bible. 
John chapter 15. You have come to Jesus, now he wants a relationship with you. So many in the body of Christ today, caught up in a dry, ritualistic, formal religion. Why? They have come to Jesus, but they do not abide. Now, so we've talked about, we spent, spent a couple Sundays talking about this word abide. You may want to go online if you weren't here. Verse 4, Jesus says, abide me. Verse 5, abide in me. Verse 6, abide in me. Verse 7, abide in me. What does it mean anyway? Well, we've talked about that. Uh, abide in Christ. We came up with uh, this definition of, of what the Bible really means here. Some of your Bibles say remain in Christ. And so I, I basically had a moment up here weeping that, that, with that translation. I mean, the, oh, these translations are good, but, but I mean, on this, they're, they're, they're really... Remaining is just a piece of what abiding means. Abiding is a continuously flowing, fully shared relationship with Jesus. Jesus is someone you bring everything to, good and bad. Another way of saying it, maybe an easier way of understanding it, abide in Christ, an uninterrupted relationship lived in the light with Jesus, we live in this world of darkness. That darkness seeps into our life. And every day we need to bring our darkness to Jesus. It seeps into our heart. The darkness that I present to the, the, to the light this morning myself. Abiding in Christ is that uninterrupted, just we're always just bringing our darkness into the light into the light. But, but of course, it's a two-way relationship. Just as you're sharing your whole heart, your soul, your mind with Jesus, you're not leaving anything back. He's sharing himself with you. He's giving you his, well, he's sharing you his, his word. Verse 7 says, abide in my word. He's sharing with you his love. Verse 9 says, abide in my love. He's sharing you his joy. Verse 11 says, let my joy abide in you. Now it says remain, but it's that same word, I think it's meno, which means, uh, which we see here as abide. Previously in chapter 14, verse 27, it means he is giving you, he's sharing his peace with you. A Christian who has a joy or a peace, it's not their joy. It's not their peace. It's Jesus' peace. They're drawing on the peace of Jesus Christ who lives within them. By the Holy Spirit. So there you have it. There's where we have been. What does it mean to abide? Now, I brought, I brought up this beat-up book here um, and, and, and just shared with you. There, there's been two, other than the Bible, there's been two books, little books, short books, very simple books that just had a just profound life-altering effect on me. They're both written by a South African pastor living in the 1800s. His name is Andrew Murray. Abide in Christ. Now, so much that I want to share this with you so much. We went out and bought 80 copies. There's still about 20 left. They'll be at the door on your way out. Uh, some have already uh, shared with me... Uh, just reading this, how, how transformative it's already been. 
And, and my prayer for you is that your abiding Christ copy will look kind of like this. And man, if you, if, if you think this is bad on the inside, on the inside, it's like, oh, wow, this is from like a previous century. Uh, that's, what, that's what I would want for you for this book, if, if you pick it up and, and you can get it online, whatever. But uh, abiding in Christ, what does it mean to abide? So as crazy as it may sound, I don't know that we've even scratched the surface. Because in, in verse 15, we're going we're gonna to go into a completely different zone, really, of, of what it means to abide in Christ. Abide means to live. It does, part of it mean, does mean to remain, but to, to live, that, that, that union with Jesus to abide. And I, I was thinking of how, to, how do I adequately describe, how can I talk about in a way that makes sense of where Jesus, of just where he goes in verse 15 in terms of describing what abide in Christ means, that he's really taking us into a different zone. Sorry, I, I, I just thought of the word time warp. warp. I don't know, I am sorry if this is corny, but, but time warp uh, in the dictionary, this is the, um, here's the definition in the dictionary of time warp. It's, it's where people or objects of one period can be moved into another. Where, where, where people or objects of one period can be moved to another. Verse 15 says, Jesus says, I no, long, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friend. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I have called you friend. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as the crucified, resurrected King of your life, you've gotten off the throne of your own heart and you've said, I'm tired of it, I'm sick of it, I'm guilty before God, come in King and rule my life. If you've done that, Jesus calls you friend. Now, many of us have no difficulty with the concept of God being a savior. Certainly, we have a lot less difficulty. Or, 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 or the concept of him being Lord, or a master, or a king. We have no difficulty with the concept of God being omnipresent, being, being everywhere. God, God being omniscient, knowing everything. God, be, God being omnipotent, being all-powerful. We don't have... Uh, a problem really with the concept of our being a servant of God. We can understand that, even a child of God. But a friend of God? What? A friend of God? This is like time warp stuff. This is, this is far beyond anyone's conception uh, of who God ever was at the time that the disciples are 
are hearing this. Now today, we, we, we sing songs about this and this type of thing. At this time, this was so foreign to what they had ever thought of. I mean, to, to many of us in this room, I mean, it even sounds disrespectful. God is my friend. Yeah, my, my friend, God. Sounds presumptuous to many of us. Sounds disrespectful. But it is what Jesus says. And let this truth be branded into your soul. God is your friend. If you want evidence that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, go no further than verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Why? It gives an interesting reason here. For all things that I heard from the Father, I have made known to you. So let's talk a little bit more about time warp. What is time warp? For people or objects of one period can be moved to another. At this point, prior to this point in the Bible, there's only one person God ever called his friend. Shout it out. Who? Abraham. That's right. Isaiah uh, chapter... Dave, do we have Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8? Uh, but you, O Israel, are my servant, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Only time a human being prior to this time in John is ever called a friend of God. He's called God Almighty. He's God, called God our deliverer, God our provider. Never are people thinking of God in this, in this way at all. Only Abraham. See, it's a time, time warp. It's just not, see, it's not as corny as I thought it was. This is a different uh, zone. Now, uh, one amazing story about Abraham. Abraham, for those of you who don't know, he was the father of Israel. He was the father of many nations. He's really the beginning of God's plan of redemption. He's the be- if Jesus, if the cross and the resurrection is the end of the redemption of our souls, Abraham was the very beginning, in a sense. I mean, he's the man, Abraham. It's the only one who has ever uh, been called a friend of God. Now, one amazing story of Abraham. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. The wickedness of Sodom was so great, it says that the wickedness actually cried out to God for judgment. I mean, that's bad. When, When wickedness cries out, judge me, judge me, judge me, that's bad. And I wonder, looking at the United States today, whether God is hearing a cry of judgment. But remember, before God destroyed Sodom, Genesis 18 says that three men on their way to Sodom appeared to Abraham, two of them angels, and one of them was who? The Lord, Jesus. <laughs> what You say, what? The Lord? Appearing as a Jesus, appearing as a man in the Old Testament? That's correct. Anytime you see the appearance of God, the physical appearance of God in the Old Testament, it's the second person 
of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. So the three men, um, they, they appear on their way to Sodom so they could judge it. And they show up you know, at Abraham's tent, his little area uh, there, and um, they ate with Abraham. And then they were, they were leaving, and what did the Lord say? He said such a fascinating thing. He said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am going to do to Sodom? I mean, that's not how friends treat friends, right? Abraham was a friend of God. So God told him, here's what's up with Sodom. Consider the parallel with God and Abraham and what Jesus says in John 15, verse 15. He says, I now call you friends for all things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. A friend pours out his heart to you. That's what friends do. What he has on his heart, he pours out to you. Ever had something just fabulous happen to you? What are you thinking? Where's my friend? I gotta find my friend. I wanna tell my friend. I gotta tell someone. That's what you, who do you go to? You go to your friend. You want to tell your friend. Or, or maybe something terrible is happening, uh, happened in your life. You, you want to go to your friend. And Jesus says, that's what I've done to you. Every single thing on my heart that God the Father gave me, I have given to you. You're my friend. You know, in the parables, oftentimes it says that he spoke in parables. They didn't understand. Uh, many people didn't understand. Many of his hearers didn't understand what he said, but then he got with his friends. And he told them what the parable meant. But now listen, really, friendship, it really goes way, way beyond that. When Jesus says, you are my friend, I now call you a friend, it's really going way beyond that. And as I was preparing this message, I was just talking with God, Lord, you say you are our friend. What do you want us to, what are you communicating, Lord? What, what, what is it that you really, really want us to know about friendship? By calling us your friend. What are you trying to tell us? What are you trying to tell me? What is a friend to you, Lord? What are you, what are you talking about? The world has its own idea about what a friend is. Consider what Socrates says. Friend, said Socrates. There is no friend. Oh, how I have seen that in the world. If you're wondering what he's talking about, you haven't worked for a Fortune 500 company for 15 years like I did. Because the more time goes by, the more cynical people get, and the less they trust people. Friend? said Socrates, there is no friend. How different God's economy is. <laughs> Isn't it just great how different the kingdom of God is? <laughs> the, the, it, it, it's, it, friendship is alive and well in the kingdom of God. And, and I can, as I was praying about this, I can think of no better description of one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, a few years ago, I did some really heavy thinking about what it, what it, what's, what's being taught in this verse. Dave, could we just get that back up? There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A few years ago, and it is shameful talking about this. Shameful to me. There's a very well-known pastor who fell into adultery. And I knew him. And he had been, uh, he had been more than an acquaintance to me, clearly. Uh, uh, he came to Boston a couple times. Both times we spent a couple of evenings out at a couple different restaurants talking for hours and hours and hours. And I was just feeding off this guy because he was just a fountain of wisdom. I did the same thing one time in Maryland, went out to, uh, uh, with him at lunch. And there was a time when, you know, when if I refer to this guy, I was, oh, yeah, that guy, he's, he's my friend. I mean, I did say that. I, I used to say things like that. We sort of lost contact for a few years, and then the news bro- broke about his, his adultery, and it was incredibly ugly. And what was as bad as the adultery, I mean, what I have found being a counselor over the years is there's something worse than the adultery when adultery happens, the lying. Where the lying goes on and on, it's lying just, just multiplies exponentially. Soon you're, you're lying to everyone. This guy had lied to everyone. He had... He had resigned as a pastor, saying it was to go more work in missions when the real reason was he was an adulterer. He's lying to everybody. And I got to thinking, and, and I say this to my shame, really. Wow, if he showed up in Boston, I hope he doesn't call me. I mean, I, that, I, I don't know what I would want. I, I, I don't know what I would do with him. I, that's not something that I would, that I want to happen. I hope he doesn't show up here and call me. His behavior greatly altered my relationship with him. And, and I, I, I was ashamed just thinking about it. Wow, th- this is a, like a friend? <laughs> and I realized... He wasn't a friend. I like to tell people he was my friend because he's so famous, at least in certain circles. And, 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 I, and I thought to myself at the time, it was really a time of great reflection. If I fell into an adultery, into an adulterous relationship, and don't, don't worry about it, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> Do I have a friend who's going to stick with me closer than a brother? Or all my friends going to be like my, was their response going to be like my response to this guy? And, and I realized, wow, I really do. <laughs> I really, really do. I, I have friends. It would not alter my relationship with them. Even if I just 
completely broken, went nuts. Adultery, violence, whatever. And I tell you, that just warmed my heart so much. And I, Recently, I was in Atlanta, and uh, my wife and I were, were praying down there with some friends who've been praying for us for 30 years. It's crazy. I, I, I thought these people were normal because there was a bunch of them in the first church that we went to. And, and I didn't realize these people are precious jewels. And one of the men there, they, he got alone with me and he said, Steve, do you have someone in your life who you really, really trust? Who you can really trust? And I said, I do. And I don't think he believed me. <laughs> because he said, well, you know, most pastors don't. Are you sure? And I, and I said, yeah, I have more than one. A friend sticks closer than a brother. Now, he, hear me. Abide in Christ. We're talking about what it means to abide. When you have a friend like that, you can be with them. You're not worried about making the wrong move. You are not worried about saying something stupid. You're not trying to impress them. They know you're not impressive. You're, you're not trying to impress them. Uh, you are at, listen, you're at great peace with them. You're just relaxed. They come over to your house, you're not thinking you have to host them. Because you know that no matter what happens, they love you. It's not going to change your relationship if you fall on your face. That's what abiding in Christ is. That's what, that's what Jesus means when he calls you a friend. He means just this that you can go out and commit just the most scandalous, awful, ugly sin and it will not alter his relationship with you. It may, it, it may change your relationship with everyone around you, but if you come back to him, brokenness, broken. Lord doesn't desire sacrifices. He wants a broken and contrite spirit. It doesn't affect your relationship with him. Not one iota. Now that's a time warp change from how people understood, how they understood God. And consider Abraham and Sarah really quickly. Abraham his wife Sarah goes down to Egypt. The Pharaoh has his eyes on Sarah. She's a beautiful woman. Abraham says, oh no, what am I going to do? And so the Egyptian officials come to him and say, oh yeah, she's my sister. Have her, really? And so, you know, Pharaoh takes Sarah. Now, by the grace of God, he, he didn't lay a hand on her. It was revealed to him, hey, you know, you got, yeah, that guy, actually, it's, it, it, it's his wife. <laughs> and Pharaoh gave Sarah back to him. Now, I can almost assure you that that affected Abraham's relationship with Sarah. On their way back, 
to the land of Canaan. I'm sure she had a word or two for Abraham. But, but I, I love it, what, it, what it says in Genesis 13, 4. It says, Abraham went back to the altar that he was at before at Bethel, meaning the house of God, and he called upon the name of the Lord. There was no change. He was a friend of God. He was the man who God pours out everything that is in his heart. No longer do I call you servant. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friend. Reflect, meditate, chew on that this week. So now before we close, I want to do a complete about face with you. 180 degree change. There are many, 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 way too many who have taken this friend of God truth and twisted it around to mean something it was never meant to be. Where, where God is a friend and that's all he is. He's not Lord, he's not holy, he's not a consuming fire, which the, uh, the Bible says God is. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews chapter 12. And this kind of friend loves you so much, uh, you know, his relationship with you never changes even when you choose a lifestyle of sin and willingly choose to stay there. Well, God, you know, he's my co-pilot. We, me and God are tight. We're like this. That's not friendship and that's not love. So they're in, you know, they're in a lifestyle of sexual morality, sex outside marriage, or a lifestyle living for pleasure, drinking without any thought of moderation, dr drugging without any regard to what is doing to themselves, working without any regard to their family. Oh, but me and God, we're tight. Oh, yeah, man. You want to talk about God? I'll talk about God with you. That's not a friend. Back that up with the Bible. Steve, well, doing things in reverse this morning, go to the verse right prior to John 15, 15, John 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. Now, I could talk a long time on that, but I'm just going to talk about that little word, do. That little word, do, meaning active obedience. It doesn't say you are my friends if you don't do all the things I've told you not to do. It doesn't say that. It says if you do what I tell you to do. So active obedience, it, it's not just avoiding stuff. I'm not a drunk. I don't steal. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't lie. I'm a friend of God. Nonsense. That's religion. Friendship is doing. Someone is a friend supremely based on what you do for them or with them. A friend of God says this. This is the question a friend of God asks. God, what can I do that will bless you today? What can I do that will bless you in this situation, God? Anyone here want to drive a, pa 
a pastor crazy, drive me crazy? Anyone want to drive me crazy? My son Sam back there. Anyone? Anyone? You want to drive a pastor crazy? Go to the pastor and ask questions like this. Can I be a Christian and, and wear this dress you know, showing my cleavage? Can I be a Christian? Can I be a Christian and go to R-rated movies? Can I be a Christian and go out clubbing? Can I be a Christian and, you know, listen to that song about sex? You know, after all, they, they, that, that singer mentions God in a song, sing with me, sing for the day. Maybe someday that the good Lord will take you away. I mean, they said, they said God's name. Can I be a Christian and wear a bikini? Ah! You are asking the wrong question and you are mired in religion. You don't know relationship. God's not your friend if you're asking those questions. If God is your friend, you're, you're asking him, God, what is going to bless you? I go to the beach. I go and listen to entertainment. When I go into my work, what's going to bless you, God? You've called me your friend. This is a different time warp. God's taking his disciples from one era, one time, to a completely different thing where... The relationship is so rich. It's a fully shared relationship with the living God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. So we're going to have a time just of so worship and prayer. And I just want to, this morning, I'd, I'd like to just give the opportunity, if you have never stepped off the throne of your heart, meaning you know you've been king, you know you've been calling the shots, you've never made Jesus your Lord. You've never made him your king. You don't know what it means for God to say, you're my friend. That, that is so distant and far. You have not the slightest clue what that means. If you've never done that, man, I went to church growing up most every Sunday before I got to college, then just completely, almost completely blew it off. It wasn't until after where I realized, wow, Jesus wants something for me so much more than I ever realized. He wants my life. And he deserves my life. He's God. If you've never done that, if you've never made Jesus the king of your life, please come up while the worship team begins. Actually, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. Or if I've been just stirring around, or what I've been saying, rather, what I've been saying has just been stirring around in your Stirring up your heart and, wow, I, I, 
I cannot say I fully enjoy a friendship with God. Come on up and let's pray about it. If we can't be vulnerable here in the body of Christ, I can be able to be vulnerable anywhere. Jesus said in that, he said, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Part of loving, part of being a friend is sharing what's on our heart. You can come up to pray. Why don't you rise? I'm going to close in prayer and then we'll conclude with worship and prayer. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. Just thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you just for giving us this opportunity to, for, for us, for me, Lord, to just bring my darkness to the light. Just put, put my darkness in front of everybody actually this morning and thank you that this is a safe place. I thank you that because you are our friend, because I'm amongst friends, I'm in a safe place, Lord. I thank you for that. But Lord Jesus, oh, what you did to purchase this safe place. You were crucified on the cross, an iron stake driven through your right hand, iron stake driven through your left and your feet. Oh, what you have purchased for us, Lord. We now worship you. We thank you. Amen. Okay, please come up, pray, worship the Lord.